Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about Stardew Valley, reviews, and we have part one of our interview with Mike Brace. Welcome to The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a man that had too much to drink and a girl that never drinks this week. <laughs> this week, as opposed yeah. to any other week. Well, usually, usually you don't turn up to uh, recordings half cut. I mean, I'm not number one. I'm not half cut. I'm actually stone cold sober. However, what what Rose is alluding to, listeners, is we had quite a long lunch yesterday with. Uh, our dad, not me and Charlotte's dad, because I'm her dad, Rose and I's dad, um, and a few nice, very nice bottles of wine we can chew. So I am feeling the effects. <laughs> Stop looking yeah. at the kitchen. Um, I'll a couple. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm going to talk about something else, actually. What I'm going to talk about is. Charlotte's current obsession with Stardew Valley. Oh, yeah. And, um, but, right, don't play Stardew Valley. I'm not playing Stardew Valley. I don't remember that you asked me to turn my game show. Oh, I've got a game show this week. I forgot about that. She's hiding her game show. Before we do that, tell our audience about the fact that you love Stardew Valley. And you said the phrase, stop bogging at my farm. To me, when I was just trying to observe you saying oh, it, I'm a bit of a mist. Where is Stardew Valley? It's a it's a cozy game. It's a farming sim. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I know what you mean now. Also, you can develop relationships with the people of the town. You can marry one of them if you want to, and you can fight monsters, and you can. It's great. I I had a bad way from City's uh, City's Skylines, by the sound of it. City Skylines is a cozy game, though, isn't it? Because it's not like... I like it, yeah. My cozy game at the minute um, is... uh, I've just got the new PGA golf uh, game. And even though I am shockingly bad at golf in real life... I quite like computer game golf. I quite like computer game golf. It's it's quite a cozy. I don't, I don't want to anybody that enjoys golf, but it just makes me feel like shooting myself. <laughs> Sorry, Russ. That is a bit of an extreme reaction to golf. It does. The boredom of golf just no. But but what we're talking about is. Like, there is some... I mean, I, I feel the same way about cricket. I mean, number one, we've just um, insulted everybody cricket, who loves Cricket's it. another sport I just can't watch. But, but, I used to play cricket when I was little. But I think the point that Charlotte's making and I'm making is there is some satisfaction, not in boredom, but in slow... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it hasn't got to be all runny-runny, shooty-shooty... I live in the slowest part of the country, I think. Where it's all retirement. Where you live, where I've got enough. 
like excitement in my life. I need something to yeah, yeah. We live in Glasgow and London. You live you live in where? I live in in Norfolk. Norfolk. So it's part of the country. According to somebody who lives there, not us. Right. We didn't say it. We've already upset the gold fans and the cricket fans. I used to play cricket when I was little. I have a lot of memories of it, but I remember that. Yeah. Did, did, did you enjoy it? I don't remember. No, okay. Oh, I, don't like, I don't like. I don't play shoot 'em ups or anything like that. Any fast paced games. Uh, I'm, I'm not good at FPS. I like the more. Yeah. I like the more psychological games like Civilization or like. Yeah, yeah. Another game I'm obsessed with is at the moment. Give Disco Elysium a go. Disco Elysium is meant to be amazing. I'll have a look. Yeah, Disco Elysium is meant to be amazing. But the other interesting thing, you using the phrase cosy, because it's the genre. I, I know, but I like I, I've read a cosy murder mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, and that, I mean, it was set in a quaint English village. It was written by somebody I know actually, and it was set in a quaint English village. And yes, there was a murder in it, and the murder got solved. But primarily, it was about cake and people eating cake. Sounds good. Um, That's funny. Uh, there was a lot of cake. There was more cake than detective. Yeah, there was a lot more cake than death in this murder mystery because it was a cozy murder mystery. And there was a lot more eating of cake than detecting of murderers. Detecting of got eat. I know, and I mainly cake apparently. Sorry, what, was, um, what was the murder mystery? Sorry. Sorry. It was called Much. Oh, oh, I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember. But it was set. It was a part of a series written by a guy called Peter Heisen, and um, ah. it was set. It was set in the uh, village of Much Slaughter. Much slaughter is where it's set. Look it up. It's on Amazon. I put it on Kindle. I didn't, re- I didn't uh, realize he was an author. He's written a couple of books, actually. Yeah, I'll have to have a look. Yeah, so one one of his books is about um, navigating the next stages of your life. Um, and Peter's a really interesting guy, actually. So worth checking that out. And then he's just started writing these set of cozy murder mysteries. But all of the characters in the book are um, based on parts of the UK. So basically, is the lady uh, protagonist's yeah. dog is called Dagnum. Um, so is it a nappy little thing? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Right. Excellent. So oh, that's so cool. That's 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 cool. Live up to a promise of having a little game show. Just before we, just before we go to the game, can we just quickly plug the book? We're up to ten five star reviews on the book. All people that have read it, and I just wanted to 
opposed to people just randomly adding their own reviews well, and not reading. I've heard of it, but Chris seems, like, Chris seems like a nice bloke. We'll give him a five star review. They all look like familiar names that you've used, so I'm, I did wonder. Sorry, are you are you are you accusing me of are you accusing me of just reviewing my own book ten times? <laughs> you say it. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Christina, Dampier. <laughs> um, uh, no, they're not written by me. They're written by people who have actually read the book and hopefully enjoyed it. Um, give uh, the Kindness Project by Christina Dempsey uh, a little look on Amazonian. Um, no, right, let's get serious now. We need to flog some books to raise the money for charity here. So okay. let, let's, let's get our head in the game. It's the Kindness Project by uh, me, Chris Dames, and it's based, uh, it's the stories of um, what in, what inspired us to start the podcast, what we've learned from interviewing loads of amazing people over the past five years, uh, 100% of the proceeds go to charity. Uh, we'd love, absolutely love for you, Liz, dear listener, to buy a copy of the book, uh, enjoy it, review it on Amazon, uh, and share the good vibes. So yeah, that's what that's I'm like. Right. Is that is that a good enough plug, Russ? That is a good enough plug. Thank you very much. And what I might do after the game show, I might read the latest review because I'm glad you picked that up. I haven't seen that, so I might I might see what that says. Um, Charlotte, what's the game show? Um, so sort of. Taken from your concept, but not in the way Russ did it. This is a little game show I like to call Where in the World. Um, when I was little, we used to play Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. That's sort of where the title comes from. I don't need to explain my creative processes to people. It's fine. <laughs> All right, go on. Um, so... Stop looking at my creative processes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to give you guys a fact, and you guys have to tell me which country this fact is true about. Okay. Oh, cool. You know what, Charlotte? And Riles, just just <laughs> for you mainly. It looks like you've actually put some work into this concept. <laughs> Well done, Russ. Are you listening? Right, I'll be saying well done if I do well. Right, go on then. Round one. It was the first country in the world to accept women into its national forces. I know this. Are you going to give us a couple of options? No. Okay, what are you going to go for? I think I know this anyway, but... Sorry, what was it? It was the first country in the world to accept women into its national forces. Uh, Germany. I'm going to go for Israel. You both wrong. Oh! It was Brazil. Oh, amazing. This might be a bit harder than our ones, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I was going to do multiple choice and I was like, nah, I'll be the last day. There's not a 50 50 chance on this one, Russ. We might be in a lot of trouble. What's the next one? Temperatures in a valley in this country can range from 49 degrees Celsius in is the summer. That, is that minus in the United States. 
it's a minus 29 degrees Celsius in winter. Oh, no, but definitely then. Right, go on, try again. Temperatures in a part of this country can range from 49 degrees Celsius in summer to, to minus 29 degrees Celsius in winter. Oh. I have taken the, what the name of the place is out of my notes, so I don't know. Oh. But I do know what country it is. Mm -hmm. What are you going to go for, Rose? I'm going to go for the States. I'm going to go for Canada. You're both wrong. Ah! It's China. China. Oh, China. China. Yes. We're doing really well on this one, Ryan, aren't we? <laughs> Can you give us a couple of options for the next one, make it easier? <laughs> no. No, no, no options. I, 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 I think we're both going to win with Neil Parry. Yeah, no no options. Um, I'm quite enjoying this. The oldest modern human fossil in the world was found in a cave in this country. No pole. Uh, no, no, no. Ethiopia. Oh, God. Go on. Let's. Laos. Please know I picked these countries by doing a random country generator. This isn't being mean or nothing. So what you did is you used a random country generator and then found the facts about that country, right? Give yeah. me one. Give us one more. I've got three more of these, okay. Oh, we might get a point at some I'm point. I'm about to get a gun out again. We might win a point over the next 10 years of playing this game. Go on. British and Spanish forces fought battles for control of this place before a truce was agreed in 1697. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in 1697 and it wasn't the French and the Spanish, was it, Russ? Um, I'm going to go for Guyana, the Dominican Republic. Right. <laughs> Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic, Dominican Republic, for the win. <laughs> I've got a point, Russ. Are we done? In the hardest quiz in the world. <laughs> go on. The actual animal is this country. It's the Phoenix Fox. Oh, fennec fox. Where would, be, where, where would a fennec fox? This is really good, by the way. Um, uh, fennec fox. I'll, I'll go Canada for that. It sounds quite, quite Canadian, Penwick. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to fennec fox. I'm going to go Uruguay. Algeria. <laughs> They live in the desert. They're fennec foxes. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, last one. The Algerian desert that's world famous. <laughs> go on. Sahara Desert. Of course it is. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you come over the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I take oh, a step back? Number one, I'm feeling quite tired this morning. <laughs> Number two, I appreciate that the. the I do sound a bit foolish because there's a there's a is quite famous. So thank I'm you for digging. what's there. <laughs> I'll keep on digging. I'll keep on digging. <laughs> that, that famous, that really lesser known desert called the Sahara. I am a point up. Can I just point that out? I did get Dominican Republic. 
Okay, last one. This country was once home to a research centre that was built underwater. Australia. Oh, God. New Zealand. No, Sudan. Sudan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And on that note, Chris wins the entire <laughs> show based on his uh, educated guess of Dominican Republic. Um, <laughs> that lesser no desert. I'm going to look that up later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Zahara. Yeah, yeah, look that, look that one up. Um, and just to detract from how useless we were at that <laughs> quiz, Russ, I'd like to read the latest, and thank you of this is, I don't know who it is, it's JW. Um, entertaining, funny, thought-provoking and rewarding is the review. Chris Danger's book, The Kindness Project, provides a much-needed antidote to the aggression of the modern world. Sometimes we can be just... We can be just as two blinkers and wrapped up in our own little world and we need a reminder of how easy it is to spread kindness, even just with a simple smile. The book is that reminder. Written in, 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 written in an informal and honest style with plenty of humour, The Kindness Project is an entertaining, thought-provoking and rewarding book. Everyone should read it and spread those ripples of kindness around the world. It's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So, so thank you for to J, uh, JW for reviewing the book. Um, uh, we absolutely uh, appreciate everybody who buys the book because, as, as we said, we want to raise as much wonga for yeah. St. Francis Hospice as possible. Um, and I'm surprised that a man um, uh, capable enough to write a, apparently a kind, honest, open and funny book, um, doesn't know where the, 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 the Sahara <laughs> Desert is in Nigeria. We won't hold it again, Oh, thanks, mate. appreciate that. <laughs> on that note, let's move on to... <laughs> oh, that, that, that's a compliment. <laughs> Zoom's just said... Are you playing music? Now, I wouldn't actually describe that as music per se, yeah. but let's see. Uh, yeah. That... <laughs> right, give us a story. <laughs> Every time you insult my intro skills, I'm just going to redo the intro. <laughs> right, what's the story this week? Club Morden. Sisters grow and hand out 240 tomato plants. Two teenage sisters from West Yorkshire have grown and distributed 240 tomato plants to help their local community. Girl Guide, Ma Girl Guide Mabel, 13, and Phoebe, 14, spent months nurturing plants from seed and now have shared the fruit of their labour in the upper Calder Valley. The project was coordinated by Calder Community Cares and a, char a charity describing itself as an outlet for kindness. It was nice to see someone not so well off Get something nice they can work on, Mabel said. Some plants were taken to people's homes in Todmorden, while others were gifted to the local Incredible Edible Project. This scheme grows vegetables in communal areas for anyone to help themselves to. Oh, I like that idea. Emma Joynson, who received a plant from the girls, said, It's fantastic. It's good to see young people helping out. It's unexpected, very kind, and will come in very useful. Phoebe said, people are usually very happy with what they're receiving. It's nice to see people enjoy something we, you've put work into. You're giving back to the community. Mabel added, it's nice to know lots of people get fresh homegrown tomatoes out of it. 
Their mother, Louise, said she was extremely proud of them for carrying out the project. They've got so much out of it themselves. It's been really enriching for them. They see how much it means to people when they carry out these acts of kindness. It's wonderful for everybody. I absolutely love that because that is something fairly small that actually has a really positive impact. And it brings the community together, doesn't it? You know, you've got... I'm, I'm a big fan of um, community pro projects that yeah. stretch through generations. And, 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 and stuff as well, there's a lot to be said about growing your own stuff. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And, and, and so, I mean, we're not too into it, but my, my other daughter, who's been on the podcast, yeah, like Sophie, absolutely loves growing stuff and that sort of... Uh, Creating own food. It's just, yeah, it's just a brilliant habit to get into. And on that note, we'll, we won't do that other news article because we're going to move on to the rest of the show. We've got the amazing legend of a human being, Mike Brace, on this week. Mike uh, has lived a fairly um, amazing life. Um, uh, uh, he was involved in an accident. Uh, early in his life, that meant that effectively he was he was he was blind. He was blinded, um, uh, but went on to have the most incredible experiences, both um, inspiring himself, helping other people, being really community focused. Um, and I just wanted to get on and share his, uh, uh, get him on the podcast and share his story. So that's here from Mike. Mike, how are you? Good, yeah? No, yeah. very good. Absolute pleasure to have you on the Kindness Project. I'm really excited about um, chatting today. Um, let's start with a really nice uh, open question. Just tell us a bit about you. Okay, um, I was born and brought up in uh, Hackney in North London and basically really interested in sport and all the different things that I suppose most young kids are interested in. What was your sport when you were a kid? I was captain of the primary and junior schools cricket and football team so I was a bowler because I didn't want to get hit by the ball when I was batting <laughs> so I didn't mind throwing at everyone else Yeah. Uh, and I was a, a, a forward um, in, in those days in the football uh, and they were the main things, and then a bit of bit of uh, athletics in, uh, um, you know, as and when the, the, the need arose. Eat Manor used to be the big sports days for the schools in those days. I, 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 <clears throat> the the interesting thing is your consideration that Hackney's North London. I, I, in my head, and I know I should know this, but in my head. It is an East London place, right? It, it is. Yeah. Um, the the borough is an E thing, but Stoke Newington, which is where I grew up in Hackney, is N was N sixteen. Right. Okay. So, so it's it, it always very confusing <laughs> all around Stamford Hill, and 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 really great childhood. I mm. I was very entrepreneurial yeah. uh, in the business sense, so. I used to deliver kosher poultry for the, all the Jewish community yeah, in Stamford Hill. Quite a big market in Stamford Hill, I'd imagine. Exactly, on yeah. my bike. I was there on my cycle going up and down and uh, delivering and then getting sixpence a delivery plus tips. So, you know, quite and, and very streetwise yeah. on my bike or go-karting and stuff like that. And then um, I was playing football over the local park. Saw some kids gathered around looking at something on the floor. 
I went over and said, what are you doing? They told me to get lost. And on the floor was a black medicine bottle. Um, so I picked the bottle up to see what it was, just as the banger inside it blew up. So my introduction to disability was pretty, pretty rapid. And what age was that? That was 10. So 10. I was 10. Went through um, hospital, came out, had a bit of sight in, in the eye that was injured, but uh, full sight in the eye that wasn't injured. And then, unfortunately, that developed a thing called sympathetic ophthalmia, and the sight in the good eye then went to nothing. Right. And, um, and basically, uh, I had a bit of sight in the eye that was injured, and then I again at a football match wanting to support my team wanted to make as much noise as possible so i was blowing a, a bugle uh, and unfortunately the pressure of blowing the bugle then hemorrhaged the back of the eye and detached the retina oh. and so i literally woke up i think i was 12 uh totally blind so right and 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 then basically uh, in those days you went to special schools which was a bit Good on one level for sport, bad on the level for education, really, very poor outcomes. Um, when I left there, um, you were almost groomed into uh, a job that was they regarded was suited for you and your level of ability. Yeah. And in, in those days, when in school I went to, you were going to be a shorthand typist, an audio typist, or a telephonist. Yeah, yeah, and that were the only, that, that were the the only, only three, options, yeah. right? And so I, I got pushed into shorthand typing, um, hated it really, but, you know, nice enough environment, but just thought I could do more, but didn't have the qualifications, and work wasn't very exacting, so I was managed to then do two A-levels, one on a correspondence course and one on evening class, and then could do my studies while I, you know, work wasn't very busy. And so I managed to get the two A-levels, and I thought, hold on, I've got two A-levels now, I should do something with them. So, um, I'm, you know, fairly used to chatting away to various people, so yeah. I went off uh, and applied to do a social work training course at North London Poly, and surprisingly got accepted um and and for me that was just a massive turning point um, uh, and what was I, I suppose the i suppose the big factor there is how adaptable they were to studying so how did you find studying for the a levels and then studying for the degree and and, and did they provide all the resources? how did it work no, in, terms no, of no. in those days there's virtually nothing available um the Correspondence course was all in print, <laughs> and therefore I had to get my wife or someone else to read, read it. the materials. Yeah. Um, any any essays and any writing you did was uh, luckily on a typewriter, which meant uh, as a typist I was probably a, a slight advantage in that I could I could do the uh, typing really quickly. Yeah. But you couldn't check them whether it had come out or correct it easily. So um, you had to get someone to proofread any essays or whatever. And then the evening classes, um, my wife came to most of the evening classes and could write notes for, for me uh, and for herself. Uh, and at the end of the day, she then didn't bother to do the exam, but I then did, <laughs> did the socio, I did sociology, 
uh, evening class and I did uh, English uh, literature uh, uh, on the on the uh, correspondence course. That's interesting. So effectively, your wife did exactly the same academic courses as you. Yeah, yeah, yeah went yeah. through the same process. Yeah. So and and but then didn't get the A levels at the end of it. Yeah. She, 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 uh, what an got, amazing partnership. Though. Yeah. yeah. She got O levels and stuff like that at school. Whereas when I left the uh, the special school, I. I ended up with the um, most qualifications in the history of the school, which had been there for like 80 years. Yeah. And that were two O-levels and a grade one CSE, which was an O-level passing. I'm, I'm going to pretend I know what they are. I know. I, <laughs> I know. I, I, I think I, so I'm 45. So I was the, I was the, probably one of the first GCSE generation. Yeah. Um, to, to, to do that. But it was, um, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, the uh, I, I suppose the interesting thing is that drive for aspiration. Where do you think that comes from, from you? Because as you say, the expectations and what you've done have been slightly different. I I think I think the drive was <clears throat> in those early days was the attitude that I got from the people around me. So as a ten year old, I suddenly um, moved from being a child to a child with a disability mm. but was seen very often as a disabled child yeah and the attitude the way that people spoke to you the expectation was that you'll never achieve anything never do anything um was really for me uh like a red rag to a ball yeah you know because though i i thought even at that 11 12 13 i thought how dare you make assumptions yeah about who i am what i'm capable of and that was the driving force, really, that stayed with me and, for the last sixty years. But that's interesting, isn't it? That element of, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as someone drive, yeah, I can. As soon as someone said you can't possibly do that, that's the thing. Then I wanted to do, whether it be in sport, whether yeah. it be in work, whether it be, you know, study or whatever. Then basically, that was. That was like lighting the, the, the paper for me in terms of saying... I'm going to show you that yeah. it's possible. No, yeah. I love that. So did the, you know, did the, went to the poly, got the sort of qualification degree in social work. What happened next? I started then working in social work in Tower Hamlets, first of all, when one of the London boroughs. Um, and that was in the early days was what, what they used to call generic social work. So you dealt with adults, you dealt with children, you dealt with really anything that was thrown in your direction. Yeah. My main focus, I suppose, really from those early days was juvenile offenders and youngsters. And, and for me, I suppose, in some ways, my experience of, of disability and people's attitudes to me really influenced them my working with the kids because mm. basically what I wanted them to have is the ch chance to make better choices or different choices yeah. in their lives like I had often been denied making those choices but actually trying to enable them to have those options. Um, how, how much do you think, uh, and, and again I've, I've just got no experience of this, I'm, I'm reliant on your expertise, how much do you think we could change in young people's lives if we just expected better i think that's right i think i think what we're 
what we're often looking at is the the, the feel or the need to control yeah, yeah. Uh, and advise oh, yeah. rather than enable yeah and I, and um, I think um, that's the issue is enabling them to to have that dialogue yeah. and and I, I do think one of the worry of, of, of the social media bit of it is they lose that personal interaction yeah. you know it, it's done and and then they very often will find a situation that they've very little chance of having any personal experience at, whether it yeah. be dialogue, whether it be conflict, whether it be because it, it's always been slightly remote. I I um I I, I mean I, I think I think technology is amazing and certainly we love like sort of what the podcast has has, has done for sort of Charlotte and Av's relationships and stuff like that. But you're right, social media is really interesting one because. I remember having a conversation with somebody who was actually a bit older, older than me, who was um, who was involved in local politics, and um, he said to me, like, we was having this chat, and he said to me, um, "Oh, you know what annoys me? I, when we try and do something for the greater good, for for the positive, I'll go onto Facebook and suddenly I'll get all the all of these yeah. negative comments." Yeah. Yeah. I said, well, "What do you what do you do?" And he went, "I um." I respond because I'm yeah, angry. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. right, just answer me one question. And I, I don't know the answer, but I'd love to know your response. How many times have you done that? And the person's come back and gone, you know what? You've made a really fair point. You've changed my mm. mind. And he went, I went, he went, um, never. <laughs> I was yeah. like, maybe you need to change I, the way I, you engage. I, I think, I mean, Technology probably has been one of the biggest things that's transformed my life. Yeah. In terms yeah. of equalizing in a positive way, right? access yeah. to information, etc., etc. But uh, the, the the other side of that is that a lot of the technology then in accessibility issues and where 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 you've got all the issues that you've just raised, yeah. then as soon as that becomes the only way that you can get hold of anyone or get an information advice then then a lot of people are, are then excluded from that so. yeah you know it's just having those human yeah. conversations yeah. and making sure that's part of the mix isn't it yeah. very much so yeah and, and 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 in some ways obviously when i worked into hamlets uh you could utilize the interesting thing was about um the, the dilemma that i had was when to use my blindness as as an asset positive. Yeah. yeah and a lot of it was um a lot of the truants uh would would wait for me um uh to come round on my visits to then help show me where to go because uh, on, on some of the estates they were quite tricky using a white stick to find your way yeah, yeah. and these kids would say oh well, i'll see you tomorrow at nine or whatever i'd make and and then you'd have this chance to have a dialogue with them or some of the kids in care when i used to visit i and many of them were you know having problems with literacy and i'd yeah. get them to read me the football uh, um, summaries and stuff like Love reports, it. Yeah. And, and they would struggle, but it was legitimate to to read those to a blind person. Yeah, but yeah, not, yeah. Normally, they wouldn't be seen dead, sort of As, uh, talking like that and, and reading. And, it. and it was a method of engagement. Yeah, right? you know, it was yeah. a way to to get those kids involved. You know what? It's funny. I mean, when you mentioned about when you first started your career in social work, and you said you're 
you 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 had everything thrown at you. It reminded because I've I've read your books and it reminded me of a story of when you were in a flat and people were throwing stuff at you. Yes, yes, <laughs> and you were trying to move around the tables and stuff like that. Or or one of them offered me um offered me something to to eat and normally you'd be very wary of it and. I thought it was um, a, a pickled onion or something because it was like this round thing floating right. around and it was a sheep's eye. Oh, <laughs> and luckily I couldn't see it because it was obviously winking at me. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, probably, it's probably fortunate. Yeah. I think that was what shined through when I read the books. It's just like this sense of humour in terms of... Yeah. And, and how important has that been in sort of uh, in, in, in your life and and sort of managing the sort of disability and looking at where, I, where you I are? Think it's been, I think it's been crucial for me in terms of... <clears throat> there are situations that you would literally cry over if uh, if, you if, you, if you if it really just uh, hit home. On the alternative, then the other way uh, that I do when I do uh, quite a lot of after dinner stuff, yeah. what I tend to try and do is to get people laughing with me at those situations, yeah. but in the comfort of their own minds, yeah. because most of them in the audience may be sitting there thinking. Oh goodness, that would have been me that had done that, or I would have said the wrong thing, or I would have thought, and and so they they have a chance to laugh with me at their if you like their own um, attitudes and whatever. Yeah. But, but in the in the in the comfort that no one's going to know that. Yeah, and it, it, I think I think that humour is a great leveller, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's one of those things that you can sort of uh, you you can sort of do. What's your favourite story to share? Oh, there's so many. Um, it's, it's more around a, a couple of good ones, really. Um, one, uh, I was waiting at Millbank, waiting to cross the road, right. and I'm standing one more white stick. Millbank uh, in Westminster, really busy junction, so three lanes either side. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to get across here on my own. Um, and basically, uh, someone came up the side of me, tallish, you know, it's got really like I said, excuse me, is there any chance you could take me across the road? And the bloke said, yeah, no problem. And I said, could I take your arm? And he said, you could if I had one. <laughs> and, and I thought, what are the odds of a blind man asking me <laughs> So I grabbed his sleeve and over we went. Um, and, and another one, really, I, 50 years, it took me to get a guide dog. Um, yeah. And... Um, I got a guide dog in 2010 for the first time, right. and her name was Izzy, I-Z-Z-Y, beautiful black, black uh, lab retriever, beautiful dog, Izzy, and I thought now, you know, things are going to change now, the attitudes and stuff like that, and despite what people think, you do, you do have to tell the dog, you know, left and right, yeah, where to yeah, go, yeah. and I'm on the crossing, and I'm going left of the gym and right to go home. I'm on the crossing, and her name's Izzy, so, she, you know, uh, I said, forward. And I said, Izzy right? And the woman in front of me said, how do I tell? And I said, a big pardon. She said, how do I know if he's right or wrong? I said, no, madam, her name's Izzy. I'm telling her to go right. And, and I could feel her blushing from where I was standing. Oh, I love that. But just uh, unbelievable, really. Talk to me about the decision to get a dog. What made you, what made you wait? And what made you decide to get a dog at, you know, 
10, 12 years ago. When I was a youngster, the only people you knew that had a dog were old. Yeah. And I mean old. They were 50, 60, 70, and you didn't really ever have much contact. And the mantra at the school was, you have to be mobile. You have to be able to use the stick. You have to be, yeah. you know. And, and so almost the badge of honour was your level of mobility using your white stick. Gotcha. Um, and the mantra really was, if you had good mobility, use the stick. And if you were old and had bad mobility, yeah. you got a dog. Yeah, and so for 50 years, you didn't want anyone to think you had bad mobility, and that's why you got a dog. As you, as you changed? Oh, um, as I became towards retirement, and, and to be also fair, the sort of jobs that I've had, I, I really don't think that a dog would have been a good uh, a good issue. I, yeah. I worked in a, a, a prison unit for adolescent girls, quite, quite disturbed adolescent girls, and uh, they potentially could have used the dog as a weapon against me, uh, etc. So yeah. some of the environments I've worked in just it made sense not to. And yeah. so, so coming up to retirement, uh, the, I think the environment steadily got worse with you know street parking and street furniture mm. and overhanging branches and oh you know just and I thought you know I should really. It's about the time. And now I'm on the old generation. It doesn't matter whether people think I've got good mobility or not. So I thought I'll give it well, and it's been fantastic. Love and it. I probably used my skills more with the dog than I did with the stick. Well, because... I suppose it's a different portfolio yeah. of skills, yeah, yeah. isn't it? You know, yeah. it's like sort of making sure that you're sort of um, you, you've got the relationship with the dog that that that. That means the dog wins and you win. And uh, I think the trust transferred because um, because I've been involved in in the sports side of it, where I've been reliant on someone else for guiding me in the running, or yeah. skiing, or whatever. Yeah. Then transferring that trust over to a dog was probably easier for me than some because I've had to do that. You know, um, well, I mean, aspects. I mean, the last time, the last time we met, I did say to you, um, "Had you, when you're slinging yourself down the mountain, yeah. how do you build that trust?" And you said to me, "I start on cross country, which is only about forty miles an hour." Right. I was like, "Yeah, still quite a great degree of trust." It's I, I think, I think it, it is that, but basically, that's built up. You know. Over years, people said, "Oh, I, you know, I can't imagine going blind and doing that." Well, of course, no one does it the first day or second yeah. day. I mean, you know, I I went skiing probably ten, fifteen years after I'd lost my sight. Right. So, so you're learning different skills, different ways of coping. Um, you've had, you know, trust uh, built up in, in other settings. But Mike, I mean, in any any aspects of our life, and I think actually sports and athletics has been really good in in communicating the importance of this it's all about incremental gain isn't it it's all about like not nobody goes from zero to a hundred it's like how do you just get one percent better every time you do it and yeah. it's like sort of then that you know that dave brailsford sky gp you know the cycling team 
that I think that actually the way they've communicated that since 2012, bizarrely, because that's when that sort of came to prominence, yeah. I think has probably encouraged more people to go, well, I don't need to be perfect. I just need to start and just slowly get better. I think I think that's been a good um, that's been a good education. And, and for me, it's been so so massively part of my life and importance because um i suppose in some ways sport has has uh, given me four opportunities really first opportunity is to show to myself what my abilities are because everyone yeah. around you will say well being blind you're never going to be able to do this that and the other but not based on any knowledge. So for me, it was, how dare you make an assumption? Yeah. I'll be the one that's decided yeah. the sport's not for me or I can't do this or I can't do that. Yeah. So that, that for me was massively important, building up my self-confidence, sense of self-worth. As a 10-year-old, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're wanting those challenges. The second group was my peers because a lot of the kids that I was there mixing with were, were blind from birth and they did these amazing sporting things naturally they yeah. weren't having to relearn it to do it yeah. without sight because you'd be pre-10 pre-10 or 12 it was a completely different yeah. Experience, yeah, right? yeah 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 you're, you're, you're not having to listen to it you're using your sight you're yeah. you know and 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 so having the challenge of your siblings i wanted to be as good or better than these kids that have got these natural abilities having been blind from birth so that was a real uh, a real a push for me to 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 try the third group really was my family because they they got the crystal ball out and and they couldn't see any future you'd never get a job you'd never get married never because they'd never met anyone that could yeah. see the you know the images of people with disability in the in the 60s was very limited there were yeah. very few disabled people on the public arena so so a chance to help uh, get their views changed was was important and then seeing me do these sports and things was was part of that and the fourth group i suppose was the general public you yeah. know there was very limited you know suddenly you were a disabled child and not a child with a disability you was just perceived as being uh, as though you'd had a transplant or been changed overnight and i, I, I suppose that that changing the label is 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 the is the big shift isn't yes. it you know in terms yeah. of in terms of going well look mike's mike and he's got a disability but that disability doesn't define him he chooses yeah. what defines yeah. him and it's yeah. it's social work professional or athlete or all of these exactly. things to, exactly um i i had a really i had a really funny conversation um when I, when I was, I, I, I spoke at uh, Brentwood Rotary Club um, uh, promoting the book, and they were really mm -hmm. kind to invite me along, and I spoke about it, and there was a, there was a lady who put her hand up at the end and who said, um, are you sure you wrote this? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I wrote this. She went, because uh, I've never heard of a kind financial advice. <laughs> I was like, fair comment, fair comment. But but I think sometimes we apply these labels without recognising yeah. that we can yeah. be 20 different things, can't we? And I, it's I, that, I agree. Yeah, I and it's that, like, just multi-dimensional factor like well, i think we're probably all guilty of having perceptions that, and, and, uh, that and don't it apply. crops up all the time you know yeah. people either worried about using 
language in case it upset someone. So, you know, I'm freak. Uh, I remember one guy asked me how long I'd been unsightly. You know, and I, and I hope I know what he meant. You know, and yeah. uh, and and similarly, my auntie Anne would would not want to say anything to do with seeing or watching or looking. Yeah, yeah. You know, in I'd, fear of. And I'd say, you know, can you imagine taking the words out and changing them. It's like me saying to my mate, "Cheerio, Fred, I'll be feeling you." Yeah. You know, that, you know, well, just it depends on how close make you are, I suppose. More friends, yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, but, but it's just that that whole concept and. And always, the, the, uh, when I used the stick, people almost daily would come up to me and say, oh, do you uh, not have a blind dog? And I'd say, well, if I have a <laughs> blind dog, I'd have to have another dog. To show it, yeah. it. Oh, do you mean a guide dog? I mean, yeah. the image of that, just yeah. a dog leading yeah. a dog yeah. leading you, yeah. is yeah. just absolute I genius. I should have that on the, on the book front. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could get somebody to design it for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, a dog for me dog. Yeah, me. yeah exactly. Uh, but I think, I think the challenge you've got with that, as you say, is is then, like, just pick, like, you want, you want an open conversation, don't you, where people yes. aren't afraid to say what they mean. And, and, and ask. Yeah. I mean, if if yeah. mum's shutting the kids up, you know, why has that man got a dog? Why is that man, you know, what's running with his eyes? And I say to him, yeah, fine, I, you know, more than happy. Because if they don't get it from me, someone else is going to make something up or, that may be wrong. Or, or, they, or, or they'll... They'll never ask, and they'll just assume, won't yeah, they? And that's yeah. the challenge. Yeah, I think kids have. I mean, like sort of. Um, Sophie, my eleven-year-old, it's just it's genius of just asking really direct questions, yeah. and I've you know it's that element where you wanna you wanna encourage that skill. Yes. But <laughs> there's a balance. I don't know whether whether she's got that balance right, but it's a, it's an interesting part. So that was part of the interview. Um, now I know you've been working hard on uh, on your quits. Uh-huh. Have you had enough time to do joke of the week? No. And so um, she's going to look that up, and we're going to. I've been the joke of the week, and said you didn't realise the Sahara was the Sahara. It's true. It's, that 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 was probably the joke. Um, yeah, the Dominican Republic. Um, but I still want. Should we let Charlotte do another quiz next week, Russ? Because I yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New brand new concept. Can you can you pick one where Russ might have a chance of getting getting the answer? I thought you did. Well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't mind losing. No, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> right. I just I just use this excuse to look up interesting facts. Yeah. No, that I like that. Right. Um. Okay. What's the joke of this week? What did the cheese say when it looked in the mirror? What did the cheese say when it looked in the mirror, Raz? Cheese. Don't know. Hello, me. <laughs> Hello, me. <laughs> that might be one of my favourite jokes. They're getting better and better. They are getting better and better. Well, you need to make it worse and worse. I'll stop using... Um, Is that a Reader's, reader's Digest? No, I'll stop using Reader's Digest and I'll start using Ultra. Oh, you can't beat us on Reader's Digest, Joe. You guys don't beat, like the Reader's Digest, You can't beat... Yeah, we like them because they're bad. Um, on that note, have a lovely day and we'll see you on the Climate Project soon. Bye. Thank you.